Welcome to Muddy River News This Week, furnished by Harvey's. I'm Bob Goff. Josh Jones is an assistant state's attorney here in Adams County, and we are going to talk about some legislation that uh, many law enforcement officials have many questions about, and that is the Safety Act. Welcome. Hi, Bob. Did I assess that properly? You have questions? I think everybody has <laughs> questions. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been walking on the street in Quincy and somebody's come up to me and said, Josh, what's going to happen on January 1st, 2023? And the short answer is, we don't know. Um, the longer answer is why I'm here. Um, Let's talk about the, 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 the biggest sticking point appears to be the whole, the cash bail system that the legislation you know, supposedly abolishes cash bail. Is that the way you read it? It does abolish cash bail. And let's be clear. I don't think there's any prosecutor who minds the idea of getting rid of cash bail. Cash bail is incredibly problematic. I can tell you from our own personal experience, I had, I had a case where we had two people who were both charged with attempted murder. One person was able to get out because they posted bond. Another sat in jail for a year yeah. waiting for trial. There is an absolute fundamental unfairness to things like that. That said, the way, what this law does is it abolishes cash bail in a way that doesn't necessarily make people more safe and in fact some, in some cases makes things less safe. In, in my uh, interpretation of it, and I, I do not pretend to be a lawyer at all, um, it appears that this gives the judges quite a bit of discretion in this area. Is that the case? No, I don't think don't it think does. So? I think it actually eliminates a lot of discretion. Right now, if somebody gets arrested, they'll go in front of a judge and we have to prove by probable cause that a crime probably occurred and the defendant probably committed it. At that point, then the judge sets cash bond and the law requires it to be a reasonable cash bond. Now, obviously, people argue all the time about what reasonable is, but that's the job of a judge to set a reasonable cash bond. And that's on any case can be on a domestic battery, it can be on a criminal trespass, it can be on a first degree murder or anything in between. What this law does is says everyone is presumed, it starts with a presumption that everyone will be released on what we call pretrial release. There will be no detention. Everyone is presumed for that. Then there are certain categories of, of offenses where the people, the state, can ask that the individual be detained and there are very limited defenses or, or limited offenses where that will occur. The first example is um, forcible felonies, but it's not just forcible felonies. It has to be a non-probationable forcible felony. So we can seek to detain someone who's charged with first degree murder. We can seek to chain, uh, detain someone who is charged with a home invasion because that's a non-probationable forcible felony. If it doesn't fall into one of those categories or some of the other categories that we have, that person can't be detained. And there are some issues there. For example, one of the biggest ones that we're going to deal with are individuals who are selling drugs. I don't think anybody thinks that drug dealers, people who sell drugs, are not a risk to the community. But under this law, it doesn't matter how much you sell, you cannot be detained. You cannot be held in jail. There will be no cash bail. You will get out of jail after you appear in front of a court. So it can be a class X felony for possession of meth where they were selling to multiple people. You could have somebody who walks in uh, with two pounds of cocaine. You cannot seek to detain them. There's no provision under the law. Even if they are selling it. Even if they are selling it. Now, the government... Allegedly selling uh, it. Allegedly selling it. <laughs> All my defense attorney friends, yes, allegedly Sorry. selling it. Well, we got to use that in journalism, too. Well, you know. You know. Um, 
<laughs> so the governor will, will say, and rightfully so, he'll say, well, you can detain them if you can show willful flight. There is a provision that says any felony offense, if it's a class three or higher, can be detained if you can prove willful flight. But what the governor doesn't say is that that standard willful flight, one, is incredibly difficult. Nobody knows what it means. And two, one of the things that the legislature has says it doesn't mean is we can't use any prior failures to appear in court as proof of willful flight. So they may not have shown up in court six or seven times in the past. I can't use that. The people can't use that to show, hey, judge, maybe this person is somebody we should detain on this offense. So, so is willful flight, so it's, it's not as simple as the person's got a car, they can just leave, it's that, that's not willful flight. No, you can't the, just... the, the legislature says you have to have more than that. In fact, the definition of willful flight, and I brought notes because there's a lot sure. here. Uh, willful flight says that willful flight is planning or attempting to intentionally avoid prosecution by concealing oneself. Simple past non-appearance in court alone is not evidence of future intent to avoid prosecution. So it's not just enough to say, well, Your Honor, he ran from the police. Or and basically what you will have to have to prove willful fight is you'll have to have some type of, well, the best example is this. We, we had a case a long time ago where we had a defendant that we caught on jail phone calls talking about how if he got out, he wouldn't be coming back. Of course, he was in jail at the time, which is why we knew those things. But apart from that, it's a very difficult standard to prove. How are you going to prove what's in somebody's head without some kind of statement or something like that? Can you detain them? But you can, they can be detained until they see a judge, right? So the way the process works is this. Um, a person will be arrested uh, for an offense. The officer will then have to make a determination if it's a they're going to release them on a citation, which means they can be released immediately, or if it's a case where they have to be temporarily detained. If it's one of those cases, for example, let's say it's a home invasion, it's a forcible felony, a non-probationable offense, that person has to be detained by the officer. He's then taken to uh, the jail. Uh, the jail will bring him to court within, uh, well, the, the statute says the immediately. It doesn't really give us a definition of immediately either. I will tell you um, the interpretation we're working with is it's the next available court date. So sure. if they get arrested on Monday, they'll be brought in on Tuesday. If they get arrested on Friday, they won't Monday. be brought in until Monday. Sure. And uh, so they'll be brought into court. And then there is a hearing and we have to file a petition. If it's somebody we want to see detained, we have to file a petition alleging particular facts. Uh, the defendant has a right to have an attorney and the attorney has a right to present a case about why they shouldn't be detained and there are a lot of things that you have to prove in these hearings they're in a, in a lot of ways they're almost many trials we have to prove it by clear and convincing evidence not preponderance of the evidence so you're dealing with the situation where we have maybe had the case for 24 hours and we're expected to provide the judge a clear and convincing standard of proof within 24 or 48 hours and again that's only for the select crimes that they are even eligible for to be detained. Correct. And so some of those crimes, we, we talked about the non-probationable, uh, forcible felonies, uh, stalking, aggravated stalking, those things are detainable. Domestic offenses, if it's a domestic battery, you can be detained for that. Um, some orders of protection violations you can be detained on, sex offenses, uh, and certain gun offenses. And look, there are lots of things about this law that are good. There are many things that are really, really good. So for example, 
if somebody gets charged with a sex offense, a victim will not have to worry about this person getting out just because they're able to post money. That's, that's a great thing. But there are a lot of things that, that are troubling about this too. For example, if someone gets charged with an aggravated DUI because they've killed a family, that person cannot be detained under this law anymore. There is no provision for it. Regardless of what the governor says about willful flight, there is no provision under the law that says you can detain them for that. Aggravated battery, if a person beats another person up, there's no provision under the law without something more that says that that person can be detained under this statute. And even when they are detained, whether it's before they see the judge or after, for understand they've been sort of given some extended phone privileges as well? Yes, under the law, uh, before, I think it came in, went into effect in, in June or July of, of last year, uh, you used to get one phone call. In yeah. fact, that's something that everybody a, heard. Uh, hey, we've watched I, enough Law and Order to know that, right? <laughs> yeah. When do I get my phone call? <laughs> well, uh, the Illinois legislature, um, under part of a provision of the Safety Act, increased the amount of phone calls that you get, and now you get three phone calls um, before, um, after you've been arrested. So that that was something else that was. And they can't be on. monitored either, correct? I don't. They can't be monitored if you're calling an attorney. Okay, I was under the impression that they that they couldn't be monitored. There were like other but if you're calling your attorney, they can't be. We can't monitor attorneys, but but, but, but we you can, can monitor if they like. Yeah. So you don't say someone is arrested for a sex offense, and then they can't just like call the try to call the victim and say, no. "Hey, what the heck?" No, no. Okay, no. I mean, people do try to do well, that, sure but do. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. no, they're they're not allowed to do that. And, and uh, I guess the other thing the, to talk about is uh, we were the the retroactivity of this. We, we, this is uncharted territory, right? It, it absolutely is. We are operating under the assumption that the law is going to be retroactive to every defendant that we, that we currently have in the Adams County Jail. Um, myself, first assistant Todd Eiler, uh, Laura Keck from our, our office, Gary Farha, we're going through everybody who's in our jail to determine who can be lodged, who can be detained, who can't be detained. And we're going to have to have hearings between now and, and January 1st on those people who we're going to want to detain. Um, it's, it's certainly a lot of added work, a lot of added time, not just for our office, but for the court system, for the public defenders, for the defense attorneys. And there's not a real good, it's not like we were hurting for time in the first place. Right, no uh, kidding. We weren't sitting around a lot. So it's, it's, it's definitely concerning. And it also, um, one of the other things it does is it's sort of more of a monitor on police when it comes to excessive force uh, issues as well, it looks like. One of the things that the law talked about was uh, requiring body cams. So yeah. you, you, we've seen Quincy Police Department has instituted body cams, and there are provisions about requiring body cams and, and what police can do and, and can't do in particular instances. Well, body cams are probably a good thing, I would imagine. Body cams are a great thing. So I, I, I was surprised, I mean, when I found out earlier this year that the Adams, Adams County didn't have them for the deputies, so, but now they'll have to have them under this. They will, they will. There's a time period. And, and body cams are great, but one of the things that the legislature doesn't always do is they'll make this mandate and say, well, you have to have body cams. But what they don't do is, well, okay, who's going to pay for it? Yeah, a lot of times they and don't it, pay for it either. And it's yeah. not just the body cams. It's the storage systems. Yeah. It's also the time that we have to spend on downloading those videos. Mm -hmm. And if somebody calls for a FOIA request, and now we're, we're sifting through 12-hour shifts, 50 officers at, at the Quincy Police Department, you can do the math. That's how many hours of body cam footage that we yeah. have to go through on a FOIA request? Yeah. So, I mean, body cams are a great thing. 
but all those other issues sure. that uh, that it, it arise when you come up with a great idea or things that we're we're stuck dealing with or figuring out. Uh, the uh, the governor and the attorney general they've all while they are all proponents of this they also. Uh, have uh, have been discussing that uh, they know it's not perfect and there are no changes need to be made. It sounds like there are some changes that uh, could be made during the veto session, which of course will will come right after the November eighth uh, general election. Um, and uh, we had discussed earlier that uh, Senator Tracy is going to host a forum here in a couple of weeks then to also talk about this. Is that correct? Yes, uh, Gary Farhaw from our office and who's the state's attorney and, and Todd Eiler, our first assistant, will be there. With uh, with Representative Tracy, and I think that's uh, the seventeenth, the nineteenth, the nineteenth of yeah. October. So okay. we're looking forward to, to being there. And I think that's that. In, in that uh, you know, obviously, you know, Senator Tracy and Representative Freeze are the advocates for for you and others to say, hey, can you please get this to the the the, the Senate President, the Speaker of the House, and the Governor to say, look, we we've got to make these changes. Yeah, we would love to see changes be made. We would love to see uh, trailer bills pass and clear some of the, these things up. I know. I think 50 states attorneys have filed lawsuits uh, against this. And, and let's be honest, there is a lot of misinformation sure. on both sides about this. January 1st, 2023, Illinois is not going to be the purge. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, not, yeah. that's not going to happen. You're not going to just open the gates of the no. jail and people are going to walk Ab out. Well, there's going to be some Some, people. but there, not, not be, the entire But it's yeah. not going to be everybody's going to walk out. It's also not going to be absolutely no big deal, like I've seen a lot of people say. I had somebody tell me, well, you guys will just figure out a way around it. And that's the thing about being a prosecutor. We don't. We follow the law. We don't, we don't work around the law. If the legislature says this is what we have to do, We'll do it, and we'll protect the community the best we can with the tools they give us. But ultimately, we're sworn to uphold the law. If they change it and they, they fix some of the issues that are clearly there, awesome. If not, then we'll just continue to do our job the best we can with the tools we have. It sounds like the, the obviously the most problematic uh, of this, as far as you know, our area is concerned, is probably the drug offenses. I would imagine. Drug offenses are a major concern. Um, violent crime is a major concern because, again, it's not, just, um, it's not just the drug offenses that we can't detain. We can't detain somebody on a burglary. Uh, we can't detain somebody on um, a robbery unless there's a firearm use. So there are a lot of crimes where we can't seek to detain. Now, again, the governor will rightfully point out that if they're already on pretrial release, you can detain them. And that's absolutely true. If they commit another offense while they've been released, then we have provisions to do that. But the, the short answer is, I think it's untruthful for him to say, well, you can detain them. You can't. Under this law, if somebody commits, for example, an arson, or even worse, let's say they commit three or four arsons, they, they burn down three or four buildings, and they come into court, and they tell the judge, Your Honor, I'm going to burn three or four more down the moment you let me out. The judge does not have the discretion to detain them, regardless of the threat that they pose to the community. And that's just wrong. We have to trust our judges to do the right thing. If somebody is a threat, if they're a threat to the safety of our community, if they're a threat to the safety of a person, then the judge should have a discretion to detain them regardless of what the offense is. So so you so according to the legislation the way you read it because I know in, in the governor's in the governor's camp they say the governor the judges have the discretion they need. The judges have discretion to detain on certain offenses and if it's not one of those offenses without more 
without another prior offense or willful flight, the judges do not have the discretion to detain. Again, if, the, if, if I'm wrong, I would love for somebody to point me out in the statute where it says the judge has the discretion to detain someone on an arson offense without something more. And it's just not there. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, you stopping by. Uh, we'll have this conversation again, uh, maybe uh, once the veto session's underway, and we'll see if this thing gets tweaked in a way that uh, makes it a little more palatable and a little easier uh, for uh, you and uh, your colleagues to uh, to handle it. So uh, thank you for your time, Josh. Thank I appreciate you, Bob. It. It's all a right. good time. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Bob Goff. We'll see you next week.